0: Uh, Our plan uh, actually includes one more sermon out of the book of 1 Corinthians, likely in the same chapter, chapter 7. And uh, we'd like to address this morning this issue that the Apostle Paul deals with in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 25-40. through And that is really, I think, appropriately viewed as in the larger category of the doctrine of vocation, and that's this idea of being single. Now, um, perhaps it would seem odd to you that uh, we would spend a few minutes looking at singleness as the Bible reveals it, but nonetheless, in this passage of Scripture, there are a number of things that really help us not only to understand uh, what is this gift of singleness, It, it should help us to, I think more appropriately embrace the beauty uh, of the gift not only of marriage but of singleness, but also it's important for us to see a few other things as well in this passage, not least of which is the way that the Apostle Paul applies Scripture to circumstances that change uh, and how the Apostle Paul deals with situations that were really quite important to the Corinthian Church and really ultimately important to us as well. But also, the Apostle Paul deals with an issue that may be closer to home, and that is uh, what is sometimes referred to as legalism, and that is this idea of, um, really, uh, the Apostle Paul actually uh, addresses the issue. In chapter 4 of this letter, he says in chapter 4, verse 6, "...I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers." That you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Now, there is an inclination, because of, I think, often a sincere desire to see holiness in God's people to go beyond what is written and to lay down restrictions, as the Apostle Paul even addresses here. Uh, he says, that he has no desire to lay a restraint upon you in verse 35 of chapter 7. But nonetheless, there is an inclination that is sometimes referred to as legalism in, I think, some well-meaning churches to apply things that go beyond the Scriptures in certain measures that become restraints. And what unfortunately happens in those cases is that as it is Unfortunately, an unbiblical view of Christ and of being a believer, what happens is people reject Christianity in its entirety because what they have seen of it and its manifestations are so detestable to them that they reject Christianity outright and they reject doctrines outright. Now, I'm inclined, perhaps, to give a simple example. Some of you have grown up in places where they used measuring sticks to determine whether your skirt was long enough. And if you want to rightly reject that measure, that is appropriate. However, to reject the concept of Christian modesty would be unbiblical, right? So, so, uh, it would be important for us to recognize that we, we repudiate what appears to be ugly in Christianity uh, and we cast off everything in the midst of it. Now, the Apostle Paul is actually dealing with a similar situation because in Corinth, and we've already discussed the issue with Corinth, Corinth was a place of... Apparently unmitigated debauchery, while the the temple that included sexual prostitutes for religious purposes wasn't uh, running at the same rate as it was in the Greek days. So Corinth, in the Apostle Paul's days, was a Roman city. Uh, taken over by Rome from the Greeks. In Greek, it was filled with more debauchery than it was in Roman days, but nonetheless, it was a place where there, no doubt, were sexual images, debauchery of all sorts and all types. And so what happens is, no doubt, it gives a very poor recommendation to the sort of biblical intimacy that the Lord has designed for a husband and a wife, and so some of the ascetics, some of those people in Corinth who, uh, you know, they they uh, uh, they apply aspects of holiness uh, that. Um, you know, would include severe self-discipline, abstaining from things that were not declared in the Scripture, going beyond, as the Apostle Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians 4, this idea uh, that, uh, you know, uh, he's he's not laying restraint on people. And so he's dealing with a certain people that said, no, we think that maturing holiness looks like celibacy. We think that maturing in Christ looks like uh, never marrying or if you are married to involve yourself in celibacy in marriage again it It may not be uh, so hard to understand when you consider just the rank debauchery that people uh, saw every day in the city of corinth and how and how it it it, it so negatively impacted those things which in reality were, were good things of God. And so the Apostle Paul is dealing with this in, in chapter 7. He deals uh, also, as I say, categorically in this area of vocation, because one of the things that the Apostle Paul, you'll notice when we look at uh, this doctrine of vocation, is he urges uh, a kind of biblical stability, Um, There are people, and no doubt you uh, likely may have known uh, an individual who, when they come to faith in Christ, they immediately have decided that they're called to preach the gospel. Or they're going to quit their job, and they're going to go do something else. And the Apostle Paul counsels the Corinthians to recognize that an all-wise sovereign God isn't intending to nullify all of their past and to place them in a different situation. He urges, in this doctrine of vocation, to recognize that, that God has placed us where we are, right? And when he brings us to Christ in that situation, if it is, in fact, a lawful situation biblically, which likely it is, he encourages Remaining in that way, and so this is what we see here in this passage as well. so there is a lot in this, not least of which is simply understanding the gifts and stewardship of singleness, but also you know how do we apply the scriptures in changing circumstances? what do we think about you know about you know what it, what it is that we're about in in the kingdom of God so that would be an important notion. It also seems uh, in our own culture that some evangelicals have decided uh, that the only way to express humanity and man and woman-ness is, is to be married. Um, and that is repudiated here by the Apostle Paul. Um, I think it's important for us to recognize that a full experience of maleness or femaleness does not have to include marriage. Now that may shock you. And this is not uh, uh, an advertisement for being single, but nonetheless the Apostle Paul does encourage an understanding of the gift of singleness, and he speaks of it in terms that are joyful. And people can come into singleness in all sorts of different ways, and the Apostle Paul addresses these ideas, but nonetheless we should never forget that the Lord Jesus was the most human Of any being. He was a perfect human. Jesus was a perfect human. Completely and utterly fulfilled. And he was unmarried. Now... There are some other practical applications to the situation of singleness. If you lived in India, for instance, you would notice that there are 50 million more men than women. Everybody's not going to get married in India. In China, there are 35 million more men than women. In Russia, there are 10 million more women than men in the United States there are three million more women than men and so you know by a simple matter of practicality we can either wring our hands and spend our youth longing for something or the Apostle Paul recommends that we rejoice in what it is that God has given us now. And we take to ourselves the sweetness of working out the vocation, whether it's single or married in the situation that we're in. The Apostle Paul calls us to this sort of thing. And as you look at the entire chapter 7 here, you'll notice uh, really, I think, an appropriate sense of joy in what God has called us to as I mentioned, he, he has this letter in response to the Corinthians, a number of questions that address uh, situations, and it, the chapter really begins this way. It isn't, uh, it's not unlike other chapters in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse 1, now concerning the matters which you wrote, quote, this is from them, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, end quote. And then in this section that we're looking at today, in particular, verse 25, he begins also, Now concerning the betrothed, that is, those who are unmarried, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. As I mentioned, it's not that difficult to understand why people genuinely interested in following Christ and growing in fellowship with Him would conclude that celibacy is the best expression of godliness with all of this sexual perversion that's going on before their eyes. And these false teachers claim to represent biblical religion, but end up perverting, deconstructing, hollowing out, and many times turning away those Who would follow Christ? This is all as the Apostle Paul addresses this larger sphere of false teaching, of this kind of display that the false teachers would present in terms of Christianity. Ultimately, the Apostle describes both marriage and singleness as gifts. There's not a play on words with gift here, either. The, the idea that the Apostle Paul is referring to regarding this simple term, gift, is that it is apparently good. <laughs> uh, so, that's an important idea. Unfortunately, there are some evangelicals that describe singleness as a gift like cancer. I utterly disdain that idea. It is unbiblical. It should be absolutely rejected. Marriage and singleness is a bona fide, real, live, joyful, cheerful, Christian-centered gift. But the question is, how do we use it? Most people will marry... The notion of singleness isn't the only idea that has been described unbiblically. Marriage also has been that way. There are some people who will never marry because they have a poor introduction or have had a poor introduction to what a biblically uh, uh, approvable uh, and cheerful and joyful marriage should and can be as described in the Bible. People look at uh, these horrifying marriages and they say, why would I ever want to do that? And I commend that. Yeah, you're right. Why would I ever want to do that? (laughs) But look at what is described in the Scriptures. If you want to take a comprehensive look at the beauty of marriage, then I assure you that it will seem to your redeemed heart that which is good. And glorious. And if we have a good picture of singleness as described in the scriptures, we would also appreciate and affirm that as well. In Carl Truman's book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, a book which I highly recommend, by the way, if you want to understand our current cultural moment, how we got here. Truman chronicles the current obsession with individual identity and traces its trajectory from Augustine through the sexual revolution to where we are today, where it has somehow become culturally normal to consider gender as fluid, that is, liquid, that is, something that's happily unstable and changeable. Now, this idea is absolutely absurd, but nonetheless, that is the place where we are culturally, and it would be, of course, important for us to recognize, wow, we're, we're needing to apply the Scriptures to an incredibly dynamic situation, as the Apostle Paul was doing here, uh, to Corinth. The current cultural obsession with sexuality is one of the reasons it's important to place this passage, 1 Corinthians 7, in the category of vocation to properly emphasize in light of a breathtaking emphasis on sexuality that something far more important should inform our day-to-day living, that of living in the presence of a holy God who's not only concerned with what we do each moment, but meters out every breath that we take, this idea of Coram Deo, living in the face of God. What to uh, these cultural thought leaders in our own day, what what would they like for you to focus on? What is the most important Aspect of humanity as described in most of Western civilization today. Well, suffice it to say, it isn't Coram Deo. It isn't living before the face of God. It isn't that. Life in the 21st century has unfortunately begun to mirror the dystopian novels. The men were just talking about this on Friday evening. Brave New World. Aldous Huxley, written in 1939. 1984 by George Orwell, written in 1949. And Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury, written in 1953. Our political life in Western society can be summarized and there is yet one remaining quality to political life. And this is all understood as the unfortunate situation when civilizations get to where they are and what we're experiencing. And that simply is this, the one attribute in our political life has been reduced to one thing, power. That's it. That is the only attribute that appears to matter in our political life at the expense of morally sound mutually beneficial consensual governance we have one thing and that is power how do i express power how do i have control and so these are these are tremendous times for us to live in and for us to 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 take note every moment that we in fact Live in the face of God and He has purpose in all of these things. Our social life has been reduced to one quality. Sexual expression. At the expense of rich human relations reflecting the real depth of the Creator's intent directed at the glory of God, everything has been enfolded into this one thing. And as a society, what we see today can often be described as this... I don't care what happens you can tax me to oblivion but make sure that every aspect of sexual expression including abortion on demand is made more free day by day because that is all that our culture seems to concern themselves with. And this is an utter perversion of what it is that God has described for us in the scriptures as that which is the beauty and the joy of living in the face of God as those who are redeemed we of all people we we are the people that can speak to the truths of what it is that God has given to us. We should be able to speak of the joys and the beauties of, of the marriage relationship and the joys and beauties of the expressions given to those who are single, the opportunities that they have to live their lives, Coram Deo, the, the, the urgencies that they can fill. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. Paul addresses life decisions in the context of focusing on Christ and his kingdom, not on a false view of sanctification or unbiblical commands. Most people can and should marry in the Lord. Singleness can be a biblical path to full humanity in Christ. But the essential aspect of what God is calling us to in this passage is to understand the urgency and singular importance of the foundation for life's decisions, the glory of the all-wise God who involves himself in the lives of individual believers for their good and for his glory. Now, the Apostle Paul... When he talks in verse 25 and 26, and I would draw your attention to the text here. This present distress that he refers to, and he describes through verse 35 of this passage, he also references it and is qualified in verse 40, Uh we, we should see this as having, of course, the authority of the Word of God. The Apostle Paul here is speaking as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, it would be important that we see that here. The circumstances of the times of his writing is that the world seemed turned upside down. It seemed turned upside down. The gospel was such an incredible factor as it collided with all of the forces in a place like Corinth. And of course that was true in every place for different reasons. It, it, uh, it didn't bring peace to Jerusalem, although it was prophesied of the Messiah that he would come there he says, I give my judgment. Paul's doing theology here. He, he's helping us to understand how to make decisions using biblical principles and situations and circumstances that are changing. He's applying truths about marriage to the context of the extreme crisis-laden culture of Corinth and makes a recommendation that the Lord would approve of. But even in this, it's still a determination between two completely lawful choices, to marry or not to marry. And even in the difficult circumstances of Corinth, to marry is clearly still approvable by God and, of course, by Paul. A life of fulfilling service to God and His people is not dependent on marriage. Soul-satisfying intimacy with Christ can be fully experienced by singles. The mandate to fulfill the Great Commission is a priority of every Christian, regardless of marital status. Thus, singleness remains a full and rich way to live in deep communion with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and build the kingdom. While Paul agreed with the Corinthians in opposing sexual immorality, his recommendation was far more practical and realistic. He says, Let each man have his own wife, and each woman have her own husband in 7-2. Here he gives special reasons why some at Corinth should marry instead of remaining single. While he addresses the issue of marriage in the context of crisis, in 7.26, he addresses the context of sexual immorality as he gives his judgment in 7.2. Now, let's look at this. So, if you look over here at chapter 7, verse 2, or look at 1. He says, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. In the context of sexual immorality, the Apostle Paul commends marriage. Now, it's important that we recognize that it it isn't... uh, The problem here isn't a lack of holiness, right? We understand, again, in the context here of marriage, that marriage is a gift, right? It's not some sort of default situation for people that can't manage uh, or control themselves, right? So when we take a full or picture at marriage, no doubt we hopefully can look at the goodness and the promises in marriage, But over here in 726, in the context of the present distress, he recommends being single for those who have the gift of singleness. Now, you can appropriate the gift of singleness in a number of ways. How does one become single? Suppose it's safe to say we're all born that way. There are some vocations inside the vocation of being single that certainly lend themselves to being single. There are some there are some military positions that really only work if you're single. There are some mission endeavors that really lend themselves to being single. There are some aspects and urgencies in the kingdom of God that, you know, um, lend themselves to that idea. No doubt you can say the same thing about being married. I'll state the obvious. Marriage, no doubt, is is, is a building block, the building block of society. I mean, we, we've got to have families, right? So... Uh, there is yet one biblical way to get that, and that's marriage. So, so we, we, we want to we understand what it is that he's talking about here, but we're really not primarily talking about marriage. We're talking about this gift of singleness. The present distress... It isn't likely a reference to the second advent. In other words, the Apostle Paul isn't doing uh, or encouraging the Corinthians to do that which Peter uh, addressed. The sky isn't falling right now. Paul isn't saying that. There are some people that, uh, that Peter addresses that are sort of stress paralyzed as they anticipate the second coming and they've decided that their best course of action is actually to do nothing. Shelter in place. That is not what the Apostle Paul is recommending. The Apostle Paul recommends to us that we proceed. That we raise the flag. We pull the ship out of the harbor. Whether there's a storm or not. No, we're going full colors. He says, don't be fearful, be courageous. This is what we've been made for, right? That's what that's the idea the apostle Paul is getting across here. He's simply telling us how to do it. Likely this is a reference to a severe famine. Stability in this case, not changing state seemed the current optimum position for the furtherance of the gospel. Now this is this is a, one of the most instructive aspects of this passage of Scripture, this idea of making decisions based on the furtherance of the gospel. Now, these decisions regarding uh, singleness and marriage are also decisions that should fit into the category of is this the best situation for the gospel? For my own personal expressions of following Christ. When you make decisions, what criteria do you use? well, I really want to go do this. I really want to go experience this. But do you think about this idea? Those of you that anticipate and hope for marriage, do you, uh, as you think about that, as you think about other people, do you think about it in terms of how can I, how will this, will this relationship further me in my walk and expression of faithfulness in the kingdom of God? Will this result in a greater effectiveness and efficiency in the kingdom of God? And you may say, well, no, that's, that's, a, that's too heavy of a burden to place on something like marriage. Well, no, no, it's, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. What is the criteria of making a decision? Right? When you spend $60,000 on an automobile, that's not a bad question to ask. Does this have anything to do with the gospel? When you decide where you want to live or you decide what, you know, uh, about marrying or, or how you might involve yourself in a paid vocation or something like that, the Apostle Paul is is laying out for us these things. And and the same thing would apply in our day-to-day things as well, right? That, that doesn't mean that you need to be stress paralyzed about whether to drink water or Gatorade, okay? It just means that that you you know it's appropriate that we think of, we have this sort of mentally in our minds, okay? What is the impact of the gospel? What is the impact of the kingdom of God? What does this look like uh, regarding uh, what it is that the Lord would have me do day by day? Is He concerned with that? And the answer, of course, to that is yes. Paul's counsel is consistent with 17 through 24, this more expansive explanation of vocation in general. In 727, he says, Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. He says, If you do marry, you've not sinned, verse 28. And if a betrothed woman marries, she's not sinned. I know men who have told me that they have decided that they are going to be celibate in their marriage because of the gospel. That, that their wife now is just a friend and, uh, and my expressions of my missionary efforts would would be such that I, I have been called away from a biblical marriage. And that is reprehensible. There is nowhere in the scripture that you're going to find that you'll be able to support that sort of notion. Right? There are Marriage is a vocation. It's a calling. And if you're married, you're in it. You're called. That's what the Apostle Paul is counseling here. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be free. Well, what should you seek? A more beautiful expression of marriage. How can I express the joys of the Trinitarian relationship between Father, Son and Holy Spirit in my marriage? That's our goal. That's our task, right? Now, he gives some differing advice to the unmarried. In 1 Timothy 5, for instance, he recommends to older widows who are supported by the church and have ministries in the church, he recommends singleness. To those younger widows, he recommends remarriage, raising children, being a homemaker. In light of the present distress among the Corinthians, the apostle recommends singleness for those with the gift. We should acknowledge that the gift comes in a few forms. Some perhaps not so intentional. How do you become single? And how do you steward singleness? Singleness, biblical singleness and the gift of biblical singleness is not, is not the, the place for people that want to chase rainbows. That's not the purpose of biblical singleness. Biblical singleness is not, is not the a financial position uh, in which you can dump all of your money into things that are utterly meaningless and have nothing to do with the gospel. That isn't biblical singleness. It's not biblical marriage either. The idea with biblical singleness that the Apostle Paul is getting at here is that it, as we see here... Verse 34, the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. Now, there is a contrast here between things in the Lord and the worldly things, but the worldly concept here isn't sinful. The reference to worldly here isn't sinful, right? It's just that what we have in the gift of singleness is this beautiful opportunity to actually focus more on, on the things of the Lord, regarding the work of a missionary, for instance, or the work of an investment in a number of families in a fellowship or church and and this kind of thing this sort of the sort of uh, uh, Enhanced opportunities, those who are married, those who are involved in marriage, who have children and so forth, they, they find themselves with other, uh, other demands right, on their time. They don't have the, the time freedoms that those who are single do. And that's a, that, that's a, a situation that is a, a wonderful freedom for those who are single. And the Apostle Paul is simply encouraging that they think of it in those terms. Right. Some of some folks who uh, you know are are perhaps younger. Uh, it still is true that you're single. It still is true that you've got some time on your hands. It still is true that you, again, the apostle Paul is is helping us to understand how do I steward my time? What you know? What what am I here for? What am I all about? And that's what comes out in this passage. In 28 here, again, Paul is ensuring the Corinthians that marriage is good, normal, biblically lawful choice. Verse 29, the Apostle Paul says, This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they have no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. It would be important for us to recognize that this is a general statement that is applicable, of course, to those who are married and those who are called to be single, but it's also applicable to the period of time that we are living in today. The form of this world is passing away. I was speaking with someone the other day and they they seemed to express a little bit of dismay at the fact that the Lord, the creator of the universe would place all of his eggs in one basket as it were on the earth because the earth appears that it won't last forever. And I said, "Well, we already knew the earth wasn't going to last forever. The God's told us that. It's going to burn up. And there's going to be a new earth." And the new heavens. That's a good thing. That's a glorious thing, right? The Apostle Paul isn't counseling us to pretend and act as if we aren't married. But what he is saying is that we shouldn't be too too dejected in our afflictions or indulge ourselves in worldly sorrow. The Apostle Paul is counseling for a right biblical understanding of the priorities of our lives. The unfortunate turning away of this truth has gotten us into some significant trouble. If I describe my life is that which has its most fulfillment in my paid vocation, then what have I just done? Well, I've just recommended to you that what you should do, and the most important thing that you can do, is to find a job that you love. Have you ever heard someone commend that to you? Yeah, only a thousand times, I think. Well, friend, if your greatest fulfillment is in your paid vocation as a job, then what? It, where does that leave Jesus? I mean, you know the unfortunate reality is is that it's likely that we aren't enjoying our relationship with Christ anywhere near as much as He intended. If we think that we can happily replace it with a better job? Now, that doesn't mean that a paid vocation is unimportant. I assure you, it's very important. Right? But we want to place our priority and emphasis regarding our own fulfillment in the Lord Jesus. We keep up a holy joy in the Lord. The idea isn't that we become hardened to the difficulties and sorrows around us, but that we moderate our experiences with the realities of our union with the sovereign, all-wise God. If we take our cues from the world, we'll pity ourselves indefinitely due to sorrows, misfortunes, bad decisions in the past, real or perceived injustices, etc. Very hard things happen to people all the time. As the Apostle Paul discusses this here in verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short, and it is much shorter for us than it was for the Corinthians, right? This idea uh, that we that we keep in focus what it is that God would have us to prioritize in our lives. And once we get this set in place, everything else also will follow and be at its optimum. The wise woman says to her husband, Yes, my dear, I know that you must love God more than me, because if you didn't, you wouldn't love me as you should. And the same would be true of every other aspect of our lives, right? There's there's no possible way that I can defend neglecting my family because of some sort of perceived holiness or asceticism to God. But we've got we've to rightly understand, what does it take for me to grow in holiness? How do I apply that to my situation? There's a strange comfort that some have in staying in the circumstances of affliction for reasons due to our sinful flesh. The apostle is using his authority to shake us from this inclination. The ascetics in Corinth were were overwhelmed at the distressing circumstance and they decided to go beyond the scriptures and recommend to the people a certain course of action. The apostle Paul recommends not fearfulness, but trust. He recommends not folding the sails but casting off the lines to sail in the sea of Christ's faithfulness. Asaph says it well in Psalm 73, verse 15, If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought, how to understand this, that is, the distresses of his day... When I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Haven't we said that? Oh God. We have people that don't know what a woman is. We have people that have determined that there's fluidity in gender. We have determined that marriage has been declared obsolete or that singleness is simply a play day but Asaph says when I thought how to understand this it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I determined I discerned therein that is in light of the revelation of God, Asaph understood that all of this became clear. He understands that all of this utter foolishness in rejecting God, in rejecting the gift of singleness and the gift of marriage, in unwrapping and deconstructing the purposes of vocation, Asaph understood and he understands that it doesn't end well. It's a fiery crash. And we shouldn't forget that the Apostle Paul, of course, isn't merely an apostle of Christ. He has been to heaven. He's seen the end of poor decisions. He's seen the end of of unbiblical notions. The Apostle Paul writes from the context of understanding the glorious beauty not only of the gift of marriage but also of the gift of singleness. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 14 have the same idea. The Bible says, for we have no lasting city here but we seek the city that is to come. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. The world is to be used, not abused. It's used rightly when we do it to honor God and do good to men. It's to be our servant, not our master. Why does the Apostle Paul say this? Well, in 729 he says, "...because the time has grown very short." He comes to these conclusions. Why? Well, because the time has come very short. So how do we respond to that? Well, we focus yet on Christ. We get up in the morning intentionally desiring to walk and be faithful to the Lord. You've got a full calendar. I know it. Do it all to the glory of God. Take that next customer. And love them well. Make Cheerios to the glory of God. Drive your old car to work to the glory of God. The Apostle Paul says, as we all should think, we know how this ends. We have a glorious God that works and walks with us day by day. That's our picture. That's our beautiful vision. Secondly, he says, the present form of this world is passing away. What a wonderful truth that is. The present form of the world is passing away. And some of us are sad about it. It's not a sad thing for sin to be gone. It isn't a sad thing for the rejection of Christ to be stopped. We know how this is going to end. The new world will be set up with the government of God. That is a place where holiness will be exalted. And you'll never have to say or be ashamed of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you'll delight yourself In the glories and the joyfulness of following after our Savior. The present form of this world is passing away, and I say, Hallelujah. But we, as the redeemed, we are the new form of this world, being remade and reshaped into the image of God. And not the image of the city of man, but the image of the city of God described in other places, but no doubt in Psalm 46. The city of God is a happy place. And we're in union with the one who sits on the throne in the city of God. (laughs) And in our resurrection... We have, by the way, if we're redeemed, been resurrected. We are with Christ. We are working in that way. Yes, no doubt there is a mystery, but there is also a truth. That which is best in life is that which is best for your soul. Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. While we certainly hope that more and more through faithful growth and holiness, we can testify that those of us who are married enjoy our marriages more fully day by day, the Apostle understood and saw firsthand the difficulties of marriage. Being intimate with another sinner, bringing additional sinners into your home is a glorious and thankfully rewarding challenge filled with marvelous opportunities for grace and joy. Yet, how many do we see leaving their mates at the least whim, excusing themselves of their promises, shaking off the very purposes they previously committed? We have an opportunity in our marriages to express the glories of Christ and of the church, and of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And while the single can turn his singleness into his own destruction, he can also use it as a gift. Bestowed perhaps slowly, perhaps unexpectedly requires determination. The skills of holiness... More time to serve the Lord. Greater ability to focus intently on the service beyond what marrieds can do. More time to invest in those around you. Elizabeth Elliot comes at this need from another side and asks, how, many, how may a single woman enter into the meaning of motherhood if she can have no children? And she says, exclaiming, she can have children. She may be a spiritual mother, as was Amy Carmichael. By the very offering of her singleness, transformed for the good of far more children than a natural mother may produce. It's important that we get a hold of this. We've got to, we we can't miss this. This this gospel enterprise that God has given to us involves people that God has brought purposefully into our congregation. All of those people are not married. A lot of them are single. Most of the people in our congregation are single. <laughs> what a tremendous opportunity. The gospel proclamation, the gospel enterprise, as it were, can only go forward with those people who are single. I want to encourage you today. Be ready if the Lord brings a mate into your life but working in God's kingdom has always been this thing that that he works in the midst of our faithfulness being married is a vocation It is a lawful, biblically ordained vocation. Looking for a spouse, however, isn't. (laughs) I recognize that it takes effort, intentionality. But God would have us to see that He will work in our midst as we're being faithful in what He has called us to do. Singleness is a gift. If you come about it in such a way as you have some perverted views of, other aspects of living, then I would just encourage you to embrace the truths, right, about singleness and about marriage, about things that are are good, and also how to enjoy walking with Christ in that situation. Let's pray.